All right, so we're going to go into our Israel trip uh, testimonies. I'm going to start with uh, Mr. Louis Hernandez. So we'll have Louis come up to the uh, podium, and he'll share his story. Let's welcome Louis. <laughs> seven, seven, ten. Seven minutes, yeah. Not s- ten minutes after seven. <laughs> <laughs> I had an awesome trip to Israel. It was, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, sharing the gospel on the way there to a Jewish girl, a student in Tel Aviv. And we, we had, uh, Blake and I had a long conversation with her. So that was neat, sharing the gospel. and Starting off with a lot of... Uh, learning about what our trip was going to be about. And then also we, we, uh, when we got to Israel, we saw many of the proofs, because I like apologetics, science in the Bible, things like that, and uh, two of the classes I've taught. And you just see so many places the Bible talks about that are real. They're not fake. They're not just made-up words. There's actual places that we actually saw, and that's, uh, I think, wonderful, like Galilee, and then learning more about why it's called the sea as opposed to a lake, uh, because of the Hebrew word it has to do with like bowl and stuff like that. And then we went on a boat ride there. We, we, we just, so many places and, and proof that people actually existed, uh, the people the Bible talks about. It found inscriptions, many different ones. There's literally dozens and dozens of archaeological proofs that we saw proofs of and we can believe the Bible is true because it's accurate. It's historically accurate. And there's so many of them. It's like, well, how in the world is that accidental if it was just done by man? Because most people, if they just write down their geographical trip, they get things wrong. They, they say, oh, I went south and they went north or something. They, they mix up stuff. Because uh, I know some people are not really good at, with maps. But the Bible is accurate. And that's why I was, uh, that's one of the reasons I thought it was a blessing to be able to go again and see more places and get things more visually in, in my head um, and also see what the places where Jesus was. Like when he was on the Garden of Gethsemane, on, on the Mount of Olives, we were, we were there praying. And just that, all those places bring tears to your eyes when, uh, when, you, when you realize that this is where Jesus paid, died on the cross to be the sacrifice for my sin. It's like... Uh, would I knowingly stand on this mountainside, knowing to go on the other side to, to die for somebody else? I don't think so. Uh, and that's what Jesus did for me. That was just uh, just astounding to, to realize that. And then going over to where, the, where he was put in jail, and there was a hole in the ground, and you could see that pit. Uh, then uh, where... He was crucified on Golgotha. You can see that place, and it's disrespected right now. It's got a bunch of buses in front of it, and they don't keep it up at all. It's because they don't care about Jesus, even though they say they do, but they don't. Uh, the people over in, in that religion, and then, the, then we saw where he was buried, and the, the tomb went in there. And, uh, then we had uh, communion. So that was a blessing. And closer to Galilee, we had a baptism, and that was a 
just through the land of the Bible, between dozens of places, dozens of people, uh, where they were, helps motivate me. That's why I, I it's like, I, I'm, in, I'm in Jerusalem. I need to go share the gospel. So John and I and a couple other, Blake went, and uh, two other people came with us at different times to share the gospel around Jerusalem. Uh, and we had one 17-year-old trust Christ. And I took a little, and he came and did a little video. Uh, maybe I'll put it up on YouTube. And then uh, I think John got two Jewish people trust Christ when they were drinking coffee on the street. I talked to a girl at the U.S. Embassy. Uh, so it was just a blessing to give the gospel out. I even got to give a track to David Robinson in the airport. He's even taller, seven foot one. The, uh, I don't know if you guys, the guy that was on the dream team with Michael Jordan, yeah, he, we got, uh, gave him a track. He, he wasn't able to listen to the gospel, but he did take the track and thank, thank me. So pray that he maybe calls up and learns more about this ministry. Uh, but I, I, I felt like if it's good enough for Paul and Peter to give the gospel in Jerusalem, maybe I should do it. <laughs> so uh, plus all the things that we saw, it just helps motivate me to do more than I have been doing because uh, those guys were going through a lot more persecution than we go through. We just got somebody that might, might disagree. We don't get beaten and put in jail. So even now in Jerusalem, you don't get beaten and put in jail, even if you're breaking the rules. So pray for the Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for people to, to reach people there because it's sad that they're in the place where the Bible proofs are everywhere, but they can't see the truth. So pray for, pray for uh, missionaries that go over there. Pray for the mission groups or the, uh, even the tourists that go over there, that they, the ones that know the gospel, help them to share the gospel, get motivated to do it, not be f fearful because... That's where Jesus died, so it should be a motivation for us. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hernandez. Uh, at this time, we'll have one of our Florida Bible College students, Blake Formanek, come up, and he'll share his testimony. Let's welcome Blake. All right, good evening. Well, I uh, took some notes. I like to write, so I just organized my thoughts on paper. But I broke this up into six or seven kind of categories of different angles of experience that um, I kind of just felt that would make sense. But uh, just an amazing trip. And uh, the first thing is in a, a spiritual uh, slash Bible uh, way. I um, it was like a pop up book, really. I um, usually, you know, obviously never being to the land before, just seeing some pictures, but not really knowing anything about the geography or really where the events were in relation to another. Uh, it was just uh, just quite the lesson, 
and, and I, li I like those details. But, you know, you're reading, and it's like you're reading words on a page, and you're using just your, your eyes, and it's really, it's almost like it's like one sense that you're getting to use, but being there, it, you kind of get this whole uh, capacity of all five senses um, instead of just one. You know, I, for example, you could smell the sea, I think. You could, you could smell whether it was salt or fresh, whether the Sea of Galilee, you could smell it. If you were by the Mediterranean, you could smell it. Just uh, now the, the pages, what should I say, the pages have a, a certain scent to them. Uh, you could feel the weather. Um, you could see the ruins and the, the historical sites, and that was amazing for me, and I took a bunch of pictures. Um, no, nothing extra that nobody else took, so whatever that they have, they, they might even have some better pictures. Um, and just... I remember hearing the, you know, in the, the first few nights, you know, we, we were at two hotels. The first one, we were in uh, Tiberius of Galilee, up in the northern part of the country, greenery, agriculture, hills. Um, I just remember every morning at 3 a.m., this rooster just, <laughs> just, and Louie didn't hear it. He was my roommate, and, I, you know, and I could hear it over, over snoring, too, so... I, <laughs> But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, it was crazy because I, I could just, and, and it's crazy because when I, when I heard this, and it was, uh, he was on the money, 3, 3.15, 3.30, it's this three to four window, um, you just wouldn't stop, but it woke me up. But, but with that, you know, it was like I could imagine when, you know, P Peter's, the story in the Gospels, when P Peter's, uh, was, you know, saying, I won't deny him, and then, you know, Christ quotes, you will, you know, before the cock crows three times, and uh, that, was, that was another imagery thing that came uniquely just from hearing that, 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 that uh, rooster. I'm like, yeah, you know, again, uh, proofs of agriculture, and uh, the story is being completely true as told is you, there's that rooster, not the same one, but it's a rooster, and you can you can hear it. <laughs> anyway, I just I it was every it was every night, and then once we got to Jerusalem, no more roosters, but that not from my. <laughs> um, but definitely just an enhancement of understanding. You know, you can read your Bible with all five senses, and. Uh, just go back to it. Another thing, as I'll move on, is uh, from a cultural linguistic studies, um, you know, working with Do Dr. Gilbert, you know, for six months, pretty strenuously, on the Hebrew language of the Bible, it was great because you know, I, I could read, I could, I could definitely pronounce the street signs, some of them, quite a few, I could, I could read, whether they had already had biblical uh, words or meanings, um, or Sometimes the English was just written underneath it, but I could certainly, but I, but I could certainly, I could certainly read it, and I can even have basic greetings, whether with market people, or um, I took a, a, I'll get to that part. Of the story. I took a personal cab to try to, I'll, I'll get to that at the end of the, 
the story. That was quite a day. Um, but even just basic greetings and taking in the culture and the spirituality is quite palpable there in a different sense than, well, when you're outside the church and you're just in this westernized American society um, that tends to be as a whole quite secular and, um, you know, it just it's different, definitely different, and seeing all the the sects, uh, the different sects of of uh, Judaism, um, whether it was just the yarmulke or some went more out, got the curls going, you know, with the kind of the orthodox look, or even uh, not sure what the sect is, but even the ones with the robes that you'd see at like the uh, the Western Wall, very 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 amazing. Uh, in a sense of witnessing again, it was uh, on the streets of Jerusalem and. Uh, Watching some, you know, especially when I was with John Hembry and he, I was right there and, you know, uh, he was witnessing to, you know, two local Jewish men that were just, you know, on the street, you know, having a drink and just relax, you know, just chilling out, just two friends, you know, and uh, they trusted Christ. And it was very, it was just amazing to see, really, really amazing. And it was a lot more peaceful of a city than um, I had thought it was going to be. It, it was just very, it felt, everything felt safe, everything felt peaceful, um, which was a, a great surprise. I didn't expect it to be as, yeah, peaceful is a good word. Um, Yes, and like I said, John, John and Louie were doing uh, the main work and just watching them, and it, it made me more encouraged when I was uh, away this weekend in the Jacksonville area. I think I, it almost felt as if I got out twice as many tracks, I, or you know, I, I felt twice as effective, uh, and it was just very encouraging seeing them work, and they're, they're great at it, so it's a good goal. Um, and then geography followed my map everywhere. I feel like I really know the, geog- the geographical, the national geogra- geography of the regions, you know, uh, north to south. I mean, I followed it every day, every time we went somewhere, and it was, I wanted to retain it. New music, there was this song called Zion that I just had not recalled hearing before that was just, uh, just amazing, just right out of the words of Scripture from the Word of God. Uh, his promises to his people and just being there and seeing that promise carried out with uh, just localized Jewish people in the land that was promised to them. And uh, it's really, really amazing. Um, But yeah, Zion, and there's a bunch of different versions of that. I found one that I really loved, but the singers were great from the ministry within Grace and just wonderful to see other artists do their thing. And uh, worship God, new friends, and uh, enhanced existing relationships also came with the the trip. Um, different people from different churches, and just really getting to uh, fellowship, collaborate, get together. It's wonderful, um, and it was all through this trip because of the gospel. I mean, you know, because as Gentiles and non-Jews, I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm Italian, I'm, you know, like, I, Italian, Czech, you know, like, why would I be there if it wasn't for the gospel? Um, but we wouldn't have any connection um, to it, and it makes me think of, uh, I think, a passage in Ephesians 1, where we're made nigh by the blood of Christ, and that middle wall partition is taken out. Um, 
and there's purpose, and uh, it's a, a worldwide thing to be there. That's why it means so much to so many people. Uh, so this gets to the, the last the last portion, and then I'll, I'll, I'll walk off. But the last portion that I, I really especially was looking forward to sharing was uh, I consider this part a miraculous surprise. So, uh, you know, uh, everything was great, and then, you know, uh, if you go to Hezekiah's Tunnel, it's wonderful, enjoy it, just walk through it, don't drink it. Um, not a good idea, but, you know, three days in the Judean desert, you can get tempted. And uh, I was a five-year-old, and I took my thing, scooped some, and I said, hey, look, I got some water. I looked at it, it looked crystal clear, it looked clean. Um, I knew better. But, you know, I had to do something crazy. It's a good story now. But (laughs) anyway, so I I did that. I got extremely ill. And it it just happened where it it just happened that this happened the day before we were checking out. So, you know, and at first I'm not thinking about that. But then I get told, well, we're going to extend your, everybody checks out at 945. They get on the bus and they go to, their, to these, the, the sites. And this is the big day. This is Tuesday. This is all the things you want to see. This is the climax of the Gospels right here. Anyway, so they extend my room checkout to, I guess, an extra day. And I'm in bed just not feeling well at all. Anyway... I find out the buses aren't coming back to the hotel. They're gone. And I'm thinking, I'm an hour, fif- I'm an hour 15, about 35 miles from the Tel Aviv airport. I got 110 shekels to my name on me, different reasons. But 110 shekels, about 30 bucks in U.S. dollars. I don't think I can get to Tel Aviv. So anyway, so I, I'm going to like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it to, I'm going to meet somebody locally so that I can get to the, back with the group and we can get to Tel Aviv and we can go home the next day because I, I don't know. Anyway, so I meet up with them and luckily I meet up with them at the Garden Tomb at four o'clock and uh, then everything was back to normal. But I was afraid that I was going to miss everything on Tuesday, which was everything that I was really, really looking forward to. I kept telling everybody, I'm like, Tuesday is going to be awesome, you know. And uh, anyway, I thought I was going to miss it. So it just turned out that I, I got the, to the Gardam tomb and the crucifixion site, and um, I, was, I was so happy about that, that that finally worked for me. And I, you know, went to the Dead Sea, collected some salt, and uh, took some olive oil from the Golan Heights, and then I was on my way. So I, I had a good time, and it was great. So that's as much as I got to say. Oh, man. I'll tell you, when, when Blake said he drank the water in the tunnel, I was like, well... <laughs> One of two things is going to happen here, like everything will be all right. Or, but it, I, I think just a, just a word um, about Blake. Uh, he's been a real blessing to the, to the college. Um, if you ever get a chance to uh, talk with him and have him share how he came to the college, I think you'd be really encouraged by it. Literally last minute, uh, last minute change of mind. I was able to uh, teach Blake and a couple other students in an advanced version of the life of Christ and he was a freshman at the time, but he's learning so much, and uh, it's really good to see that he's able to go to Israel and see these things, but I, I hope he gets to go another time, um, because, you know, this was the second time that I had gone, 
And it, it, the, my phone stayed in my pocket a little bit more than the first time. I actually did a comparison. I took 930 photos the first time I went. I mean, you're literally, the bus driver says, look out there. You're like, you know, it's just, you get it back. It's a blurry fingerprint door window or a bus window. You're like, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. <laughs> this time I took um, about 180 pictures. And I did this with you in mind. We're not going to look at anywhere near 180, but I wanted to share with you uh, some things that were really impactful. Um, I'm going to have Steve um, get the lights. He's, he's going to work on that. But I, I want to share with you, I was two different people. Um, the last time I went in 2018, was very last minute. Um, I was not even an assistant pastor. I was working with youth. My life was not as ingrained in the scripture as it is now. I'm in my third year of pastoring, and I feel like I've taught and read more Bible than I ha- ever have in my entire life. So it was really special and unique when you go to these places and you see the historical significance of each one. That's where the power is for me. I'll, I'll tell you, my favorite part of the trip the first time was all the sites, you know, the crucifixion, the garden tomb, and all this. Steve's uh, killing the light so we can have a better image of the screens. Thank you, Steve. But this time, those things are, are just as, as beautiful as they were the first time. But this time, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, Qumran, and Gedi, all these different places just jumped off the page. Um, we had a wonderful opportunity uh, on the bus to and from our locations to, you know, grab the mic. And it's very touristy, just so you know, it's total. Everyone's got the hats that say travel intercontinental and all that stuff. And uh, everyone's got their water bottles and sunscreen, like it's a whole thing. Um, and they got those microphones on the bus, but it's a wonderful opportunity to teach. And, you know, you're not only teaching to the people who are on the bus, but to our tour guides as well, who are they're natives to the land, and many of them are not practicing Jews like you and I would think. They're actually very agnostic. Not to say they can't know God, but they're, they're, not, they're not involved in that aspect. But they know the Christian history. They know it probably better than the people who go on the trip. But they don't put the pieces together. And I remember going to En Gedi, and just like it always is with pastors, somebody says, hey, Jesse, come on up and uh, give us a word. And I'm like, no problem. I totally prepared. I'm ready. I've got three points. Uh, no, but I know, I know the, the, the principles of, of Scripture, and I read a portion um, that referred to En Gedi, and where uh, Jehoshaphat was fleeing from a Syrian army, and he was trusting in the Lord and telling his people to trust in the Lord, and they won that victory. And right before me, there had been a testimony that was given by a pastor who gave a very unclear gospel message. So I didn't attack anything like that, but I taught the importance of that word trust there and going through it. Then you actually get to the site and you find a way to just get by yourself and realize, you know, David was, was in this area. Uh, this is not something that we think, we're not sure. I mean, I can't go to the exact spot that he grabbed Saul's garment uh, secretly, but I can tell you it was in that area. And you see all the evidence for Scripture right there. And I love what Blake was saying about it gives you all those different dimensions to the, to the Scripture. But those places, uh, Qumran and Gedi, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, all those, all those different areas where Jesus did a lot of ministry. I love that. I love Qumran because that's where we, I don't know if you ever have, have had a chance to go down the Google rabbit hole of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but you should. It is an amazing, amazing testimony to the preservation of God's word. Because we're talking about thousands of years. 
you know, that they, they are able to show it's preserved. You know, in the Dead Sea Scrolls that they found, which were pretty preserved, um, there were only about, I think it's less than 10 errors. And none of those errors informed any kind of interpretation. It's just like kind of grammatical, so to speak. They had a facsimile, which is a copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Israeli Museum, which if you go, and I'm, I'm hoping to take a group the next time that Pastor Scudder goes, we have to meet a certain amount to go, but just pray about that. If you haven't gone, I would definitely go with In Grace and with Jim Scudder. But when you go to the, Israel, the Israeli Museum, that's one of the highlights. You can see all the different things that the, the, uh, the, the people in Qumran did to preserve God's word. And uh, you get to see that facsimile, and you look at it, and you go, that is word for word what I have in my King James Bible. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. So to be in those places where some local kid just threw a stone into a, a cave and heard a clash of pottery and found another testimony of what God said he would do about his word, you're sitting there, and like Blake was saying, you can smell it, you're, you're, you're caught up in the weather, you're caught up in the environment, but most of all, you know that the Bible that you read is true. It's, it, it's more than just, this is what I've chosen to believe, this is the religion that I was raised in, it's proven out. So I want to show you some pictures all about that. But uh, the first one that you see here, if it goes, this is uh, the Sea of Galilee. You can actually tell it's very, very small for you. But right here, there's a really, really cool uh, diagram of the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River flows through here. And uh, I'm a big sunrise guy now that I have a daughter. So everything, you know, I'm kind of up before the sun now. I've always wanted to get back to being a morning person. And God has made that possible through my daughter. Um, but uh, look how massive that is. And you're not even seeing, there's, there's a little more over here. It actually kind of tapers out uh, in this direction, but further back this way, tons of water. And Louis was talking about the word sea, S-E-A, and the importance of why it's not called a lake. In the Hebrew culture, the word sea, this is, this is crazy. The word sea means a basin. Okay, so, so imagine you have like a bowl. Okay, so... In some descriptions of some equipment in the temple, they would call these bowls brazen seas, S-E-A-S. And you would think, what's, what's the point of that? Because it's not, it's not really the body of water that makes it a sea, it's what it's contained in. So just imagine, if you, if you will for a moment, imagining the Sea of Galilee as a giant bowl <laughs> in the middle of the desert. Like, and it's, it's good water. They use this. Um, so, you know, this is, this is all good stuff here. There's a man-made jetty right here, and there's a fishing pier. But you get out there, and these are buoys. I thought at, uh, at first they were like, oh, they're just out there fishing, man. Those, those are buoys. But uh, they do have fishing trips out there, and they net fish, and they eat off of um, what comes out of the Sea of Galilee. But I just thought that was beautiful right there on 630 uh, in the morning to see that coming over. Uh, this was the day before, and this was um, in Joppa. And if you're familiar with Joppa, um, Old Testament significance there, our good friend Jonah and his responsibility to ministry never wavering, <laughs> never ever saying uh, no. <laughs> no, but you know, he uh, got in a boat over here and headed to Nineveh and got swallowed by a really, really big sea animal. And um, he was spit out and he went out to go do exactly what he was supposed to do in Nineveh. He wasn't sailing there the first time. He was trying to sail away from it. But uh, it's amazing to see uh, that area. This is all defaced all through on this direction. It's got a lot of stuff. That's really all the picture I could use. There were some inappropriate things on there. 
But this was right off of the airplane. I'm going to be honest with you. I had to go back and enjoy this because the first time I was doing it, I was like exhausted, exhausted. That jet lag hit in a whole different way on the way there. It took about three hours. Yeah, you were just on a plane for 10 hours, and everybody tells you, you're going to sleep. Yeah, for about 3% of the trip in the airplane, you'll sleep. (laughs) The rest, you're wide awake. Uh, This is a boat that they had found uh, preserved in the Sea of Galilee that was contemporary to Christ's time. Very interesting. You may think, how did they get this out of the water? Uh, Well, if it's in the water for all those, you know, all that time, it's it's brittle. So as they were starting to try and pull it out, they they couldn't really get it out without literally touching the wood, and it would disintegrate. the The ingenuity of man they 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 covered this entire thing in foam, and it was like a, a a sealer, and it got everything sealed, and they lifted it up with a big crane, and they put it in a museum there. I think the museum is actually called the Museum of the Boat. You can't see it very well, but right here is a picture of what it may have looked like fully completed. But isn't it cool that Jesus may have called uh, some disciples out of a boat just like this? I just think that's awesome. You look at that and go, I was talking to my friend Paul, and we were chatting about what it would have been like to live in this time. And, 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 you know, a part of me thinks it would have been really easy to have a singleness of mind. You know, there's not a lot of distractions. Peter wasn't like, hang on, Jesus, I got to like set my email to out of office while I'm traveling with you. You know, I got to like change my voicemail. Sorry, working with the Messiah right now. I'll call you back later. They didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Of course, they had different worries, but just to see something like this, a historical artifact, amazing. I also think it's funny too, because if I was, uh, you know, 12 or 13 years old and I saw this, this would be so boring. This would be so boring. But now I'm that guy who's like taking a picture. My uncle taught me this because when I was 12 and 13 years old, we went to places like this, you know, local museums and stuff. But I read every plaque now. I go and I read a plaque and I'm just like, oh, that's super cool. But uh, not when I was a teenager. Not at all. I had the, you know, when are we going to do something fun? But this is fun. This is cool stuff. Uh, This is Mount Hermon right here. Um, And this is off the window of the bus. But, you know, it's snow up there. And uh, it comes down into these little tributaries and flows through into the Jordan River to feed the Sea of Galilee, flows out to the Dead Sea. Where there, and, and the reason why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea is because there's no life in it. I'll tell you a funny story about the Dead Sea. I don't have any pictures of it because you don't want to take any electronic equipment out there, no matter what the IP water rating is for it. You drop it in the Dead Sea, it's over. But uh, <laughs> I'm a big guy. And I've been in the Sea of Galilee before, and you literally, or uh, the, the Dead Sea before, and you literally just lean back. You don't want to plop back because whatever comes up is going to get in your eyes. You don't want to do that. Lean back, and I mean, I'm totally out of the water. I'm just like floating like this, like effortlessly. You, you know what's in there? There's another guy, Tom Murray, who I don't know if you remember Tom. He came last year for an In Grace event, but he was, he started to like lean back, and he's like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I was like, Tom, look. 300 plus, man. Oof, just put it right down. <laughs> I'm just like, just comically floating around the Dead Sea. But uh, flowing into the Sea of Galilee, there's life there. And it's so interesting. Uh, the late uh, James Scudder, uh, his uh, son-in-law gave a quote while we were there. He was saying, the Dead Sea, it takes and takes and takes and takes, but it's, it's dead. There's, there's no life in it. The Sea of Galilee, it gives and it gives and it gives and it's full of life. 
Just a wonderful example of how we should be as believers. We should be giving of our time, giving of our talents, giving opportunities for people to trust in Christ, and the Lord will bless you as a result of it. That's not just a financial statement. I believe if we can be people that give, it'd be a wonderful blessing uh, to others and to the Lord. So that's Mount Hermon there. Pretty interesting. Uh, this is actually um, a place in Tel Dan. And whenever you see in Israel Tel, T-E-L, that's a, a, it's a man-made mountain, so to speak. But whenever a civilization would come in and conquer, they would level the one before and build on top of it. And then that one would be conquered, leveled, and then built on top of it. And then this is how you get these, these Tels, T-E-L, Tel Megiddo, which I don't have pictures of here, but uh, that's a pretty famous one where they have Solomon's stables. And there's a cistern that you can go down into uh, to see how they got water into the city. But this is at Tel Dan, and this is at a camp where Jeroboam um, erected a very, very pagan altar to replace proper worship uh, for the people. You're going to see where that is, and I'm going to do a message one of these weeks on it, because it's just a really, really uh, important lesson to be learned from that. But this is actually when you say they sit in the gate. They sat in the gate. Uh, they sat in the, in, the, uh, in the entryway. This is what that would look like. There were some um, pots down here and things where people could provide a little bit of a offering, some coinage, whatever it might be. But oftentimes, the people that sat right here, might, maybe even the king and the queen, would sit here as people would come in and uh, welcome them into this area. When I read they sat in the gate, I'm thinking of uh, a different gate, like not something that looks like this. A lot of the things in the happen, that happen in the Bible, they're on a smaller scale than we kind of uh, tend to think. But it's amazing to see now when you read, you can be like, that's probably what that looked like. Here's the, uh, I'm going to walk over here on, on this side here, but this is where that false altar used to stand. They've put a uh, structure there to kind of symbolize what it may have looked like. Got another picture of it here. So you can see, they believe these are, those are contemporary stones to uh, Jeroboam's time. And you're, I'm just looking at that. Is quite amazing. Uh, this gate here was contemporary, they think, to Abraham. And uh, this was a gate that was built by the Canaanites. And I mean, we're talking about thousands of years ago here with this kind of structure. You could not walk up here uh, because, of course, they're trying to preserve it. But you can kind of see uh, some of the, the uh, ruins here. You're going to find this out, too, if you go to Israel. A lot of what you're looking at is half. Okay, And you can see it. It's a good example here in this picture. Everything below this line right here is most likely authentic. Everything up here, like on this side, the smoother side, they try to reconstruct so you get a better idea of what you're looking at. But if we were to look at the original stuff, it's uh, you know, kind of down here. Look at the beautiful uh, gate here. Quite interesting. This is a beautiful spot. This is where Peter was asked, uh, where the disciples were asked by Christ, who do men say that I am? And Peter uh, very famously confessed that he is the Christ. And very, very uh, sacred Catholic site, obviously, because they believed that Peter uh, was the first pope. We would probably disagree with that. But these waters that come right off of here, flowing from Mount Hermon into these areas, this spot right here, I think I have a, a more in-depth picture for you. No, I don't. But, but right back here, this is where the comparison of the gates of hell was made by Christ. And right here, there is a little temple to the god of uh, the shepherd god, the false shepherd god, named Pan. And uh, he was half goat, 
half man, and they would offer goats right in here. And if you, I, I wish I had the picture up there, but I, I didn't include it. You'd have to go down. It gets kind of secluded, but it's a big open cave, and they would, they would slaughter goats there, and it would be a very bloody thing, and then they would pull that stuff out and do whatever they would do with it. But uh, interesting to see uh, this spot right here. This, I thought, was so interesting. You want to talk about modern marvels. This is at Caesarea by the sea, where we believe that um, Peter went and reached Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 in this area, and uh, those Gentiles got saved, and then, you know, the explosion to the Gentile world started right here. It's also believed that Paul was in prison here when he was uh, in, in prison waiting to go to Rome. King Herod, really, really, uh, let's remove the wickedness of the man, extremely, extremely smart, a genius. Uh, some of the technology that we understand today about water and water working and all that, aqueducts and stuff, was created by, by King Herod. Had a really, really big problem with uh, people respecting him. Um, this, this that you're looking at right here is a this is amazing. Right here, this section that you're looking at, you kind of see there's a square right here, and then there's some um, mosaics here. We believe that this was a spot of the first pool of fresh water in a saltwater sea. And so you'd wonder, how in the world did they get water underneath there? They had an aqueduct system that Herod had built to get the water underneath from his palace. His palace is just, imagine, just right here. And he would have parties in there, and he would drown his workers, just to, just to show what kind of man he was, what kind of power he had. And he built this right in the middle of an entertainment place. There's a, I can't remember the name of it, but a giant looping field uh, right there. So there's a lot of entertainment and stuff. And he would just pick people and uh, take their lives in a, in, a, in a pool like this. However, it is amazing to see how preserved it is today. They believe that that is contemporary to Herod's time. Um, and, you know, Herod also built the 2B temple, um, the one that uh, is modeled in the uh, Israeli museum. It was beautiful. I mean, he, he really made sure that he did it correctly. He was trying to appease to the Jewish people because he was sorry for the crimes that he had done. But nonetheless, um, he needed to put his faith in Christ. This right here is off of the, they call it the Nazarene precipice. Uh, this is using a zoomed out view, so it's a little... It's a little uh, distorted on the edges here, but you're looking at modern-day Nazareth, all right? Look how huge this is. I mean, we got up there, and you know, you had to hike all the way up there. There was a lot of walking involved, but they believe, possibly, this is where they tried to throw Jesus off uh, because of the things that he was teaching, but he slipped through the crowd and got away. This is the hometown of the Savior of the world. Uh, just so amazing to sit there, and the wind is just howling. It's blowing, and I'll be honest with you. My tour guide is talking, and I'm just like, not listening, <laughs> because I'm looking at the place where Jesus was, uh, was from. Really cool stuff. Um, this right here, I wish we had a chance to go up there. This is Mount Tabor. Anyone know what the significance of Mount Tabor is? This is where we believe um, from Scripture the transfiguration happened. You cannot see it, but I'm going to put a little red dot here. Bink, right there, is one of the largest Catholic churches in the region. And uh, they really do um, have a lot of ownership over these different sites. Now, we didn't go to any of those sites just because of how crowded it can get. And I'm talking about tour buses that are worth half a million dollars trying to get through these streets. I just stop looking out the window when I'm in Jerusalem. 
I just stopped thinking of how close we came to that sign or that person. Uh, everybody came out just fine, but so that's the Mount of Transfiguration there from that Nazarene precipice. This is our group. When we went to go get baptized in the Jordan River, there are uh, some people who are not in the group. Not everybody got baptized. You see Blake right back there. You got Celia, uh, Lonnie and Maya, uh, yours truly. This is a guy, his name is Les Witter. Um, was really good to meet Les. He's adopted three children. So we right away had some things um, in common. Um, this is Pastor Neil right back here. Um, this is Pastor Mike Bullock and some people from uh, their ministry. This young lady, young lady, this young lady right here is a sweetheart. Um, she's from Quinton Road, and she tragically lost her husband. He was a mailman on the way home, uh, got into a collision. I think it was a drunk driver, and he was killed instantly. I, 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 I can't imagine what that day must have been like for her. But uh, she was able to go to Israel for the first time. Her name is Rowana. She did a lot of shopping. She did so much shopping that one of the places that she did the most shopping, they gave her a free suitcase <laughs> so that she could check it on the way back to the States. So I just thought that was so funny. But uh, really, really sweet lady. And then uh, some other people from Ohio there in the mix. But um, I really like this spot here because you get to teach the gospel when you're baptizing people. Um, there is no significance as to where you get baptized, but it is very, very special to be in the same river where, where Christ was baptized. He's not baptized in this area because this area is very clean. The water is moving quite nicely. Um, the traditional site is, is more dirty and, and muddy and not something that you'd want to really get into. So this is Celia here with the girls. Um, and then they've, they've got this gate here. If you can see right back here, there's like a slip. Uh, slip area. The first time I went in 2018, this is where I fell <laughs> and I almost cracked my head open and I was good except I had a giant green streak up my back and I had the sympathy of literally people from all over the world saw me fall and you get that huge pity sigh that, <gasps> oh man, I wanted to disappear. I wanted to be gone. It, uh, but this time, watched my step. I had my hiking sandals on to make sure nothing happened. Uh, this is Qumran here. This is kind of a close up. I want to show you this. It's kind of hard to make out, but if you follow this line that goes down where the white is, they believe that is the remnant of an ancient aqueduct. Remember, when you think of aqueduct, you think of water being carried uh, to the place where it can be given to the people. And here's an example of a, of a cave. You can see some other spots like uh, up here where there were those uh, pottery pieces of clay. I also learned, too, if you want to see where water used to flow, you follow the the, the pale white area or the green shrubbery. And so you can see water probably flowed down here in a, mud, or, uh, um, in a flash flood when it would uh, rain up, up towards the north and it would come down and provides people, uh, provides people water. And they would catch that. They'd catch that water, do their filtration, and, and be able to, to drink it. I thought this was a fantastic picture. This is um, at En Gedi. Uh, so the Dead Sea is over here to the left of the shot, and this is a, a beautiful mountain range here in Israel. Masada is just further down here. This is yours truly at the um, Mount of Olives. You can see the Dome of the Rock is right there. So I'm, I'm going to move to the next picture because I believe it's the, yeah, it's the Dome of the Rock right here. What is the significance of this? The first time I went, I, either I wasn't paying attention, which was very likely, or I just, it wasn't said, but this is Mount Moriah. This is where inside uh, Abraham offered Isaac 
Um, and then there was a RAM that, that was provided. I wish you, you could have gone in there up until the year 2000 when things started to get really uh, hot and heated uh, between the people in Israel. But um, there's a lot of significance here in the Muslim faith. And I know when I first started looking at pictures of Jerusalem, I thought this was like a, you know, this is like a Christian Jewish site. It's not. We had to be scanned, and I mean we had to be scanned and searched in order to get onto the Temple Mount. The Hasidic Jews that uh, Blake was talking about with the curls and all that, uh, they had to be escorted by a police force because they have a reputation for starting to break out into Jewish song to agitate the Muslims. I mean, and, and, and they would have been beaten. We would, we would have seen that if that happened. It didn't. But the Temple Mount is a very, very contested place. I do believe the Third Temple will go there. I don't know how all that is going to work out, but I believe that that's where it's going to be. I did not take a picture of this, but right over on this side was the, uh, is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And it's a mosque. It's in operation. You can't see inside of it. If you walk up to it to start taking a video, you're going to get in trouble with the people that, were, uh, you know, that, that are running it here. You can see a gentleman dressed right here in classic uh, Hasidic Jew attire. They have the black top hat, the black coat with the white shirt. There's some things that are hanging off of, of his side, uh, of, the, of the backside of his shirt. They, they still use the phylactery, uh, which is the leather that's tied around the hand. And there's a little box that has different parts of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They have that also that he puts on top of their head. Based on the sect, and that's what Blake was saying, and what that is, is what, what your rabbi teaches. What your rabbi teaches is what kind of robe you'll have. And sometimes you'll see them do this very uh, ritualistically, and I, I always thought that was a part of what they saw in the Talmud. The Talmud, by the way, is the, it's the oral side. Think of it as a very, very reverenced um, commentary. There's, there's not a lot of truth that can come out of that, but that's how they get this, this practice. But the rocking back and forth is not required. It is just an, uh, they are, they're encouraged to show their emotion. And on the plane to Tel Aviv, they were in the aisles. I mean, people could not get proper service to and from because they were in the aisles and they were not moving and they were not really speaking a lot, but they were, you know, doing their thing. So it, it's amazing to see these steps here and that Temple Mount is, is contemporary to Jesus' time. This is amazing. This is the Pool of Siloam, as, but the Jew would call it Shilach, okay? And every time they said that, I thought, Shiloh? Is, is that Shiloh? But it's, that's how they say uh, Salome. It's so funny how our tour guide said it. He would say, or as, or as the Americans say, Salome. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's what he means. This is recent. This is very, very recent. Uh, this excavation, you can see the, uh, the, the digger here beginning to start. They had to section off this area. But the next thing that's pretty cool is this right here. These are, these are original steps into the pool. So it's very likely that Christ would have been here. And we're just sitting there listening to the tour guide, and I'm realizing like, whoa, this, this is pretty significant. Right back over here in the corner is Hezekiah's tunnel. The video would not load in Canva because it's, it's too large, but I'll show you the, the video. I'm telling you guys, narrow and very, very low. I was worried. That was the big worry of the trip. Like, am I going to be able to fit through there? You know, I do not want to get plugged uh, into the, the Hezekiah's tunnel. That would be in, in St. Grant, I don't think you could do it. You probably could, but you would be like, you would be horizontal for a long time. But it was a great experience. It was really good. And it was a long trek. 
it was long. And there were some times where I like did the little bowling ball thing and I was like, that ain't going to work. So I got to get sideways and I'm, you know, sidestepping it. But Hezekiah's tunnel was uh, right through there, how they got water into the city. But this is going to be something you want to keep your eye on as they get that fully excavated. Uh, very, very cool, the Pool of Siloam there and the miracle that was done by Christ. This is a beautiful picture of the eastern gate. Uh, this is where we believe Christ will come back. This gate is sealed up. These are uh, Muslim, Muslim and Palestinian tombs here. There's, I, I believe that was done for a reason, um, so that they would think Christ wouldn't come back. He's going to come back on the Mount of Olives, which would be on this side, and that is the eastern gate. This is not a part of the temple. A lot of people make this mistake about uh, the western wall, um, which I didn't put a picture in there, but uh, the, the western wall or the wailing wall, some people will look at that and say, well, if that's a holy site, that, you know, that's part of the temple, why is that still standing? It, it nullifies the prophecy that Christ said there'll be no stone turned, uh, left on top of another. They'll all be overturned. That's not a part of the temple. This is what's amazing about it, though. The holy of holies, which would have been just on the other side of that western wall, that wall is the closest to that area where on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and offer the three sacrifices for the people, for, the, for himself, and for the, for, the, uh, for the temple. But that is why they um, worship that wall, because it's the closest. That's why they put their prayers in there, because the function of the high priest would be go in there and intercede on their behalf. Just like when you and I pray, dear Lord, heal X, Y, and Z from this illness, intercessory prayer, the Jew still looks at that wall at as the closest thing to what intercessory uh, prayer was for them back in that time. Uh, so I, this is the eastern gate, so the western wall would have been on the other side, and uh, the Temple Mount is just over on this side. A lot of prophecy is going to happen here. Christ is going to walk back through there. Can't wait until that happens. And, and at that time, we'll be coming back totally fit, um, totally ready to do some work. We'll have new bodies, the, the Scripture says, at that time. And then this is the last part here. You don't see it, but uh, there's a bus down here. And, it, and I'm telling you, it's extremely chaotic. I mean, there's people yelling and screaming, and there's, you know, bus air brakes are going off and all sorts of stuff. And it's right over here that that bus station is. And this is Golgotha. It's what they commonly believe to be the place where Christ was crucified. Very interesting. I told you this morning, and I've said a couple of times, I, I know we're a little over time, but we're, we're wrapping up here. Some people would have thought he was crucified up here, you know, because there's the hymn that says, on a hill far away. Um, popular study of the Roman method of crucifixion was he would have been crucified down here, street level. Uh, so it's, it's pretty interesting to see what's there right now, you know, just a bus stop and stuff. Uh, the second time that I went, I'll be honest with you, this was not as important as the fact that he went and did it. That's what was very prevalent to me at this, at, uh, on, on this trip. It was very chaotic. We got caught in a traffic jam, so we were kind of rushing and stuff. But one thing I did appreciate is while I'm looking at Golgotha and I'm realizing the price, the price that was paid for my soul right there. I mean, it's very overwhelming when you, when you just shut off the things in your brain and you realize what was done here. I mean, this was the greatest transaction the world has ever seen. This is why you are who you are today. And it's, you know, it just looks like a formation of rock, and it is. The significance is not necessarily in the place, but in what happened there. That's the, that's the significance. 
And as I was uh, looking at that and, and thanking God for what he had done through his son Jesus and how thankful I am that I can have a relationship with Christ and serve him and, and have fellowship, I was listening to the Torah guide and she gave, and this is the Torah guide at the garden tomb, she gave the clearest gospel presentation I heard all weekend. I mean, I did not hear one use of the word repent out of context. I did not hear anything about giving your life to Christ. She said, it's by faith alone and Christ alone that we are saved. And this is the place where that happened. And that was, that was more than enough uh, to impact me. So um, I, I hope that it's, it's been a blessing to you to see some of these pictures. I've got, you know, probably 150 more that I could show you. And no doubt, Blake and Celia and the Rivera family and Louie, they could show you a lot of pictures too. But I, I just want to encourage you. We can go ahead and uh, turn the lights back on. I just want to encourage you uh, to think about going, okay? Um, I think that Pastor Scudder wants to go once a year, once every two years. Uh, pray about it. Um, this is not, it, this, it, it's, it's not a tourist thing. You can make it that if you want. You can spend all your time in the gift shops and uh, doing all that kind of stuff, or you can just go and, and soak it in. And I would encourage you to do that because it does bring another dimension uh, to reading your Bible. You can understand now how important the Sea of Galilee was. Why the disciples were fishermen? It's probably the only thing they could do. <laughs> That was of, of, of any value. What a boat looked like that they may have been called out of to go and, and serve uh, the Messiah. And of course, uh, outside of that, you have all the opportunities too. Um, I witnessed the two gentlemen on the way back, the flight back. One of them was in an air train uh, in Newark, New Jersey. And I talked with him, and the guy lives 15 minutes away from the church. He was just on his way to Tampa too. And we talked for a while, and I believe he understood the gospel. Um, and then I talked with a gentleman for probably about 30 minutes while I was getting breakfast a couple hours later, getting ready to leave um, from Newark to Tampa. And uh, we talked for a while. His dad has uh, diabetes. He's been taking care of his father. He lives in New Jersey now, but he's trying to move back down to Tampa. But, you know, the first thing he told me is, you know, where are you going to, when I asked him where is he going to go when he dies, does he have assurance? He's like, well, I've, I've been a Catholic all my life. And uh, I just listened to him. Just listen to his story, and he has a lot of problems with the Catholic Church. He feels like it's very hollow. So I had an opportunity to give him the truth. Um, and I, I don't think he trusted Christ. He said he's going to think about it, but uh, he may be watching. So I, I think that would be an encouragement if he was. But I want to thank you guys for being here for this uh, trip recap. I'm so glad that you prayed and we got back safely. It's too bad that I got sick afterwards. I mean, I was feeling so good Thursday. I was ready to just get it going, and then late uh, or early Friday morning, I had a fever, and I was like, whoa, this is not usual. I had texted do uh, Dr. Gilbert and had to cancel my class. But we're all good now, so I, I appreciate your prayers. But I want to share with you the most important news in all the world, and I leave this last picture up here because this is where I believe um, Jesus was put on that cross to die. We know from John 3.16, and by the way, if you remember, John 3.16 was given well before Jesus went to the cross. As a matter of fact, in the Scripture, Nicodemus helped Joseph. Uh, get the body and uh, bring it into the tomb. Pretty powerful to see uh, the Nicodemus in John 3 and the Nicodemus at the end of John. But he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I like to illustrate that if this hand was you and me, and my wallet represents our sin, our sin separates us from God. We have to be perfect, the Bible says, to get to heaven, but we all fall short. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And the Bible says that we're not saved by any good works. No amount of church attendance or starting something, stopping something, will be able to pay for our sin. The only thing that is accepted is a death payment for our sin. 
So this hand is going to represent Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And if we were to illustrate John 3.16, we see it this way, for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, again, the ones that, that God has loved, which is everybody, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what's the truth that's communicated? What happened here was done to save your soul from hell. The blood of Christ ran in this area. And it's beautiful to think that the only thing that we have to do for that blood to be applied to our account is believe. It's by simple faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that that offering is applied to our account. And John, uh, John chapter 5, Jesus says later that whosoever believeth, they'll, they're passed from death unto life. So the illustration looks like this, from death unto life. And Christ rose again, and he said they'll never be brought into condemnation. So this, the sin's not going to be put back onto your account. It's all been paid for. Like uh, Bruce was saying this morning, having the driver's license represent him, and he, he placed it inside the Bible. We are given the righteousness of God's Son the moment that we believe. When God looks at Bruce, when he looks at me, when he looks at you who have put their faith in Christ, he doesn't see the sin that so easily beset us. He sees the blood applied from the cross at Calvary from Jesus Christ. That's what makes that picture significant. And yeah, it's pretty uh, par for the course that there's a bus stop right there. One of these days, Christ is going to come back, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm pretty sure there won't be any bus stops at that point. But hopefully you've put your faith in Christ. I pray that you have. Now is a good time to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, nights are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you've yet to put your faith in Christ, maybe you've been trusting a system of works, or maybe you know, that you prayed a certain prayer but didn't know what you were saying at that time, maybe that's what you're looking at to save you, I want to encourage you to do as the Bible says, which is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and now shall be saved. You can do that right where you're sitting. There's nothing special or magical about a prayer, but you can talk to the Lord and tell him that you believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his resurrection was for you. The moment that you do that, the Bible says that you are saved. You'll never be brought into condemnation again. If there's somebody here tonight where that made sense and you'd like to put your faith in Christ, would you just raise your hand and let me know and I will pray for you. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that you put your faith in Christ. As we remain uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I just want you to talk to the Lord and thank Him. Thank Him so much uh, that we have a written testimony that has been preserved. Uh, thank Him for His patience toward us, for His love that is new every morning. And, and make a decision to love other people by sharing the gospel with them, sharing kind, word, uh, kind words with them. Father, thank You for bringing us back safely from our trip to Israel. I pray now, Lord, that those who went would be impacted uh, to better service and that we'd be able to encourage all of those around us. Thank you for those that are here tonight and are part of our family. There'll be a day where we get to be with one another forever without any sin to inhibit any kind of walk. Bring us back here safely uh, for our classes. Well, actually, it's spring break, so give the students the rest that they need and bring us back here safely on Wednesday night for our prayer meeting. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.